Hey, everybody. I didn't tell Lane, Pastor Lane, that uh, Deborah was going to come and join me. In fact, I didn't tell Deborah that she was going to be <laughs> preaching the sermon. So. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, it's so you good. are so funny. I am, right? Um, it's so good to be here. Oh, it's man. so good to see those that we, we know, faces we recognize, and faces we don't recognize. This is a fantastic church. This is a fantastic community. And honestly, you guys have some fantastic pastors. Yes. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. And one year, yay, you guys. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Deborah, you want to say something? I just wanted to say hello to everyone. Um, we came here when I was about nine months pregnant. Actually, I think I was seven months pregnant with our son, Caleb, who turns 23 in November. Um, so there's been a lot of life between now and then. Um, but there's so much history for us yeah. here. Um, our two boys, Caleb and then Johnny, were born while we lived in Newburgh. Um, and it's been a while since we've been back. Last time we visited, we were at the high school. Um, and it, I love that God does not live in a building. Yeah. This yeah. is not the church. But I have a lot of memory, so it was fun to be here and to walk in and right away see some faces that I recognized. Um, and Tim's right. You have an amazing church, an amazing community that I love, um, even just hearing the stories that are about looking out. What is God doing in the community? How can we reach the people that God's brought here? And so I love hearing um, just the history of what continues to happen here. Um, and Tim's right. You guys have some amazing pastors who I don't know well, but I keep hearing great things. Yeah. So happy anniversary to you. I hope you have many, many more here to come. Yay. We, we really do love Newburgh. It's, it's a, a place that we love to come back and back and back to because so many great things happen here. Um, like Deborah said, we had our two boys were born here. Um, some of our best friends in the world live here that we, we met, you know, 23 years ago uh, here in Newburgh. And um, uh, we bought our first house here. Uh, we remodeled our first house here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with, with, with a lot of help. Um, we bought purple chairs here <laughs> that you're sitting in. We, we tore down walls. We put up walls. We did so many things that happened here, but most of all, just the grace of God that was poured out uh, in this church and through this church that we got to witness, really, and stand aside and see what the Holy Spirit was doing. It was amazing. So you're in a, a series uh, in Acts, and you've been talking about the great things that God has been doing, that God did all the way back 2,000 years ago, not 23 years ago, 2,000 years ago in Acts, the Lord did some amazing things. But I love the book of Acts so much because it's not just a history book. It's really supposed to be a guidebook. Uh, it's not just for us to go, oh, look at how the church started. Isn't that really cool what God did? I truly believe that the book of Acts is a guidebook for us so that we can understand how God can do amazing things in our world today. How can God do great things with us? And today, from the book of Acts, from Acts 10 and 11, I want to share with you one quality that I found over the years that positions us well for God to do great things through us. Does anybody want to know how God can do great things through you? Yeah, yeah I want to know that. I want to figure out, God, how can I position my life so that you can flow through me in the ways that I'm reading in the book of Acts? What are the things I need to do to make myself ready for that? And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Acts 10 uh, and 11. We're actually, I think we have that up on the screen too. Is that, is that right? Uh, somebody? I don't even know who to ask. I, I don't know who, to, but if it's not on the screen, then it'll be okay. I'll just read it out loud to you. Uh, but it'll be up on the screen too. And in, in 
In Acts 10 and 11, I want to give you some context. So, I, And I think you've been going chapter by chapter, so maybe you already remember this context. But Peter, the Apostle Peter had just raised uh, a lady named Dorcas. Um, we don't really name people that anymore, but, it, but her name was Dorcas. And it was a, 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 she, he raised her from the dead. And that was a big miracle. I mean, healings happened and different miracles happened. But man, when somebody was raised from the dead, how many of you know the whole town stopped, Right. Like everybody stopped and said, this is something really huge. It's not something that we've ever seen. It's not something you can fake. Somebody's been dead for a while and now they're not dead and it's a big deal. And so he'd raised her from the dead um, in the power of the spirit and there was a huge revival in that town. Peter was kind of the guy. Like everybody was saying, wow, it's really cool that Peter visited us and he's doing these really great things and people started coming to Jesus. There's this big revival. And that's where we pick up this story. In chapter 10, uh, verse 1, it says at Caesarea, uh, which isn't where Peter was, it was down the road. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. About noon the following day, down in verse 9, it says this, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon... Three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Skipping to verse 24, it says, The following day, because he went with them, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. In verse 27, it says that Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me, and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so Peter preaches the gospel. He didn't have any notes. He didn't know what he was preaching, that... The pastor of the church didn't say we're preaching out of Acts 10 and 11. That's what you got to do. And he just started talking. He opened his mouth and started preaching the gospel. He starts talking about 
Jesus who died on the cross, Jesus who was anointed by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who went around doing really good things. Jesus dies on the cross and he rose, rose again and he starts telling everybody that anybody who believes in Jesus is going to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins in his name. And while he's saying those words, the Holy Spirit descends on everybody who's listening to him. And exactly the same thing that happened to Peter in Acts 2. Peter and the 120, the, the Spirit came on them. They started speaking in tongues. They started being full of the Spirit of God. And Peter's amazed because he doesn't even know that these people have a possibility of getting saved at that point. And, and the Holy Spirit's poured out on the Gentiles, and it's just an amazing thing. And that's what we're going to talk about today from Acts 10 and 11. In fact, in Acts 11 then, um, you can read it, but most of Acts 11 is a repeat of that whole story because Peter has to go back and tell the Jews what had happened because up until this time, they only expect that either Jews are going to convert to Christianity, or if they're non-Jews converting to Christianity, they're also going to convert culturally and religiously to Christianity. And these folks who Peter's talking to, and these folks who get filled with the Spirit, actually have no interest in converting either religiously or culturally to Ju Ju Judaism, um, that, because that's, that was the expectation. And so Peter has to explain, this is what happened. I was just preaching, the Holy Spirit came down, all of these things happened because these people have no interest in the laws and the customs that we follow. But what God did here changed everything. It changed everything. Are you going all the way through Acts, Pastor Lane? Are you guys going? Are you getting up to, you're getting up to, are you going to get to Acts 15? Okay, in Acts 15, in a few chapters, you're going to find out how this reality changed everything. The whole world has changed because now Christianity isn't just a Jewish sect. It's now something completely different. Um, today, today, I want to use this story, and I want us to talk about one quality that positions us to be used for great things. Say the word expectancy with me. Expectancy, expectancy positions us for great things. Can you say that with me? Expectancy positions us for great things. Expectation and expectancy sound a lot alike, but they're actually two different words. Expectation is full of detail and a specificity that rarely happens. When you are having an expectation for something, how many of you have ever had an expectation that something happens and it didn't turn out exactly the way you thought it was going to happen and it messed you up? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm going to give away my age um, here. Uh, a few years ago, I turned 50 years old. I know I look like 32 like Lane, but I just, I, I just, it's, LA does well for, no, just kidding. Um, I was turning 50 and, and the, the, about six months before I turned 50, the staff at my church and the council at my church and the leaders at my church started talking about this big, um, big party that was going to be thrown. And I got, I started getting excited about this big, 50-year-old party that was going to be thrown. And at one point, um, one of my staff members came to me and asked me, hey, the council wants to know, what, what would you really like for your 50th birthday? What do you really like? You want something for your house? You want, and I just said, I'd love to travel. i love to travel. So like a trip or something like that? A trip would be great. So like for four months leading up to my 50th birthday, I'm dreaming about this trip that I'm going to be given. And like, it started small, like, you know, they're going to send me to Malibu. And then I'm like, but maybe they'll send me to Hawaii. And then, and then maybe they'll send me to Bora Bora. And then, you know, maybe they'll send me around the world. I don't know. It's going to be awesome. And I started having this expectation 
that I was going to be given a trip. And so the day of my birthday came, and it was actually on a Sunday, and, and it was a big deal. And they, throw, they threw this party at the end of church. And I mean, it was really fun. The staff came out, and they, they mocked me, and they dressed like me. And uh, they, they did all kinds of things for me. And they actually had a cover band, like U2 cover band. I'm a big U2 fan. And like, like a U2 cover band showed up to play. And, and it was just really fun. And at the end of all of that, one of the council members came out dragging a suitcase. I'm like, there it is, my trip. <laughs> I'm going to take my trip. This is my suitcase. He's going to give me a suitcase. I knew exactly in my head what was going to happen. He's going to give me a suitcase, and then along with the suitcase is going to come a trip. So the council member came out and said some really nice things about me and, and to me, and they prayed over me, and they gave me the suitcase, and they said, Pastor Tim, open the suitcase. All right, I'm going to open the suitcase. I opened the suitcase up, and it was full of hundreds of notes from the congregation that they which is really beautiful, right? <laughs> Except there wasn't a trip. There's a suitcase, but no trip. And I had gotten myself so wound up into a sense of expectation that I was going to get a trip that, I mean, I'm telling you that some of the most beautiful things that have ever happened to a person happened to me on that day, and it was all lost because I was frustrated that I didn't get the trip. When we have a sense of expectation and we have a specificity that we go, it has to happen this way, we can get really disappointed when it doesn't happen that way. That's what expectation does. Expectation can result in undesired outcomes. When I have an expectation for something and it has to be exactly the way I want it, it can result in undesired outcomes. Expectancy is really different. Expectancy isn't demanding it's full of faith, it's full of wonder, it's full of mystery. Expectancy focuses on the giver and not the gift. It doesn't say, I have to have something exactly this way. This has to work exactly the way I want it to for me to be happy. Expectancy says, hey, something good is about to happen and I'm, I'm ready for it to happen. I've found that expectancy results in unexpected answers. Expectancy results in unexpected answers. When I was 28 years old, Deborah and I got married when I was 27. Is that right, Deborah? Sure, 28, <laughs> something like that. Um, we knew when we got married, we were youth pastors in Fresno, uh, California. Um, weirdest thing, your brother grew up in my youth group, and you just told me that this morning, and you looked just like him, and I thought you were him. We were youth pastors in Fresno, California, and we had a large youth group, a few hundred kids uh, at the time, and the Lord called us, very clearly called us to Seattle, Washington to plant a church. We're, I'm 28 years old. We leave with all of our stuff in a U-Haul. We've got nobody with us. We're just going to plant a church. We knew how that church was going to go. We had a business plan. We knew how it was going to work. We were going to go in and plant the church. It was 1998, and we were going to plant a church, and it was going to grow. That was in the years where Mars Hill Church, if you even are aware of that church, was, started, was starting to grow. And we're like, we're going to be the you know, charismatic Pentecostal you know, answer to Mars Hill. And, and we're going to grow. And we had a business plan. And we literally, like I knew that we were going to go to Mars Hill. And we were going to grow in 10 years. We were going to grow to 10,000 people. And we were going to plant 10 churches. I remember that very well. That was my expectation. That was what I had down. That was what I was going to do. We were going to go hit the ground running, and we hit the ground and fell flat on our face. Totally. 
My expectation for what was going to happen in Seattle was completely upended. I think our largest church service in the two years that we were there were 40 people. Pretty sure 10 or 11 of them were people that lived on the street outside the church that were just looking for free coffee. It was, I mean, really nothing. Um, I mean, good things happened because we loved people and we discipled people and we got to know people, but it just, the church never took off and our expectation was, was messed up. We didn't change Seattle. We didn't change very many lives, uh, and we ended up coming to a place where we realized this isn't working. And so we started praying, Lord, do you have something else for us? And in the process of looking, we were deciding, because Deborah was pregnant, we were either going to live in my parents' basement in Walla Walla or in her parents' attic in Eugene, Oregon. And we're trying to figure out which one was going to be better for the kid, right? And we were, we were just, Lord, what do you have for us? And the district at the time asked us if we'd come down to a place called Newburgh. I'd never really heard much of. I had a friend that was down here. Um, would you come to Newburgh and would you, would you see what's going on there? And we came and we prayed about whether we should come to this little town in Newburgh. And, and we were big city people. And I was like, I don't know about Newburgh. I'm not, I'm not sure. Has anybody ever heard of Newburgh? Can anything good come out of Newburgh? I, you know, to quote the Bible. I, I just like, really? And we just came so dejected because our expectation in Seattle was completely messed up. And we came to Newburgh, and we really did feel like the Lord said, you need to be here. And we were actually started getting excited about coming to this, this place. And we showed up, um, the first day we showed up to be installed. Um, there are, I believe, far more people in this room right now than were in the whole church at that time. Uh, it, 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 there was a wall there, and there was a wall there, and I don't remember what the chairs looked like, but they, they, they weren't nice like this. And there was maybe, I don't know, three or four rows, and there were just, the whole church came together to welcome us as we were installed to this place. And we literally, we really had no expectation of anything specific that was going to happen, but we had a real sense of expectancy that God was about to do something. And we were open-handed and said, Lord, what do you want to do in this place? We just want to be your tools and your vessels to see whatever you would have happen in this place have happen. And so there were, I don't know, about 60 people here that first day, and we thought, that's a pretty good start. And then the next week, because it was in, in June, I think, when we were installed, and what we found out was that first day, everybody in town came out to see the new pastor, and the next week, it was like half the room, and you're like, oh, no, what have we done? And we just started listening to Jesus and following him and preaching the gospel and doing what we did in Seattle without the sense of expectancy that it was going to be 10,000 people in 10 churches in 10 years. And over the next year or two, the Lord did something so profound in my life and in this church. It blew away any kind of expectant expectation that I could ever have. The church started exploding. People started getting saved. I actually had to go from one service to two services to three services. All of that stuff that you would take for granted now, you know, you know in the fall, you're like, oh, we're going to have to add a third service. I, I mean, at the time, what the Lord was doing in this place, and by the way, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. He's still working in mighty ways in this place. 15, 18 years after we left, God is still at work in this place, and he's changing the world through Red Hills Church. But at the time, we had no idea what was going to happen, but there was a sense of expectancy with open hands and open heart that God was going to move, and boy, did the Lord move. And we come back to celebrate that 
and we're, I'm just really, really honored to be here. Pastor Lane, what, a, what an amazing honor for you to invite me. I'm blown away and humbled to be here and to speak to this group of people. Peter, we read about, was full of expectation. Peter's expectation was things like this. Hey, this is how God will work and how he won't work. This is what God will do and won't do. This is what God should do and shouldn't do. This is what I know about the law, and this is what I know about how God puts it all together, and he's never going to have me go speak to people who are Gentile pagans, who eat meat that you're not supposed to meet, who break the law that you're not supposed to break. This is how God will and won't work or how he must work. Peter was full of expectation. This is how I'm wired. Do we do that? This is how I'm wired. Lord, you would never call me to do something that I'm not wired to do. Paul, Peter was called the apostle to the Jews in Galatians 2.8. How do you take the apostle to the Jews and call him to go be the first person to see radical Gentile conversions? Sometimes we have an expectation before the Lord. Lord, this is how you will and won't work in my life. This is how you have and haven't worked. And so I'm going to put you in a box and you're never going to do anything outside of that. Sometimes we say, Lord send somebody else. I know you want to see that person saved. I know you want to see that person served. I know you want to see that person touched with your love, but I just, that's, that's just not who I am. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not somebody who goes out and serves people on the street. I'm not somebody who's going to sit down and have a conversation about the Lord. And we say, I'm not wired that way. Send somebody with a different gift because we have an expectation. Peter said, this is how I'm comfortable contributing to God's plan. I'm not comfortable going to the Gentiles. I'm a lot more comfortable with the Jews. Any of you ever more comfortable in one sense than the other? I was comfortable in Seattle. I was comfortable in Fresno. I was comfortable in Los Angeles. Frankly, I wasn't comfortable in Newburgh. It didn't even have a Starbucks in Newburgh. <laughs> it's like, I had to learn to love the coffee cottage, and now you don't even have that anymore. <laughs> Man. Um, we came to love this town, and we come on, on purpose every year, come back to visit it for vacation because we love it so much. But at the time, my expectation was, I don't think I'm going to fit there. But the expectancy was different. Peter was full of this expectation. He said, this is my reputation. He just had raised somebody from the dead. There was major revival going on in Joppa. And he's like, if I go hang out with these Gentiles who eat the wrong food and live the wrong way, everybody's going to look at me and think, that I'm crazy. Expectation focuses on me. Expectation focuses on you. What do you want? What do you want? It makes it difficult to be used of God. Peter's expectation <laughs> required God to give him three visions. Everywhere else in the Bible, when Peter's doing something and the Lord tells him to do it, the Holy Spirit just talks to him. He just does it. The disciples regularly are being told by the Holy Spirit, hey, go this way, go that way. Don't go here, don't go here. But Peter needs three visions in the middle of the day to overcome his expectations. But Cornelius, this pagan Gentile, had a sense of expectancy. But he didn't put God in a box. He opened his heart and his hands. He says, Lord, would you move? As he's praying, as he's living the way he needs to live, as he's coming before the Lord with an open heart, even though he didn't follow the Jewish law, even though he didn't do the things that the people of God knew were the right things to do, Cornelius was bringing everything he had before the Lord and saying, Lord, I love you and I want everything you have for me. And one day the Lord said, then you need to call for this guy, Peter. He didn't say what Peter was going to say or what Peter was going to do. He just said, call for Peter. And Peter's going to come. And so when Peter shows up, Cornelius says, hey, 
I don't know what you're here to do, but I'm, we're here for you. In fact, he was so expectant. He has such a sense of expectancy that he didn't just call for Peter to come and talk to him. He filled his house up with his friends and family because he knew, even though he didn't know what, he knew that God was about to move. That's what expectancy does in us. By the way, I'm not saying don't pray specifically. We should pray with specificity. We really should. But I want to invite us to an attitude of expectancy, to pray with open hands that God knows better than we do. Um, There's a lady in my church. Her name was Joy Dawson. She passed away last year, but she like was part of starting the, the, the organization called Youth with a Mission. She and Lauren Cunningham basically started that together. She wrote about 25 books, translated in over 20 languages, um, w- worldwide famous uh, kind of prophet, apostle, evangelist type person, uh, was, was really, really, really influential in my life because she would sit down with me every month and, and she would just, you know, she would just pour into me, which basically means she would tell me everything I was doing wrong. And... Um, <laughs> And help me fix it. Uh, she was one of those kind of people. And no, she was great. But she had a lot of problems physically. She was 98 years old when she died. And so in her 90s, she was struggling with some things. She was struggling with things she was praying for. And I would always say, Joy, you know, do we want to pray to, to, that you'll get better? Do we want to pray for healing? And she said, yeah, I, yes, I believe that the Lord will and wants to heal. But before I pray for healing, I always first pray this way. Lord, is there anything you're trying to teach me through this? God, is there anything that you want me to grow in in this struggle and this trial that I'm having? Not just his, her physical pain, but the things that were going on in her life. If she had a financial trouble, she wouldn't pray right away for money. She would say, Lord, is there something you want to teach me in this moment? Is there something you're doing in my life to make me more holy, to make me more like you, that your answer to this prayer too quickly would stop the process of me growing deep. Here's a lady that lived with a sense of expectancy before the Lord. I'm praying right now for a family member who just has decided to not follow the Lord, to turn around and walk far the other way. And can I tell you that my everything in my body wants to pray very specifically exactly the way I want to see this happen? I want to see this person turn around in A, B, C, D. I could write the script. How many of you have something in your life that you could write the script for? And you could say, Lord, I'm just going to give you the points, the bullet points, and you just take care of it. (laughs) It's so easy for me to want to write the script for the answer to this deep, deep, deep need that I'm praying about. But I'm saying, Lord, would you just turn this person's heart around however you want to do it, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to use. I have a sense of expectancy that the Lord's going to do a miracle. Frankly, I don't know how that miracle's going to happen. And I'm not putting God in a box and saying, God has to do it this way. The prayers we pray can say things like, Lord, whatever you need to teach me, however you want to use me, any way that you want to accomplish your purpose in and through me, would you do that? That's expectancy. Okay, I have two questions for you before we're done. First is this. Do we have an expectancy that God will work in our lives? Let me ask you really specifically. Do you have an expectancy and do I have an expectancy that God will work among our unsaved friends? Do we? When we look at our unsaved friends, do we just go, oh, they're a lost cause. They'll never come to Jesus. Or do we look at them and have an expectation that it's going to happen this way? I've got the bullet points. I know how it's going to happen. They need to show up to church. They need to hear one of Lane's excellent sermons. They're going to give their heart to Jesus 
if they come? Or do we have a sense of expectancy to invite them to our homes and to fill up our houses with our unsaved friends and to say Jesus is going to show up? Do we invite them to this home, to this house? Because I have a feeling that if we, I'm saying we, look at me, I'm part of you now again. I have a feeling that if you, if I'm, I'm the same way in my church, that if we filled up our church buildings with our unsaved friends, I have a sense of expectancy that the Holy Spirit's going to show up, that the Holy Spirit's going to drop, that people are going to be changed in their hearts, not even knowing what to expect. They're going to show up and God's going to move. The second question I have is this. Am I ready to obey the Lord if what he wants messes up my expectations and I don't like it? Because we love to hold on to our expectations. We love to put God in a box. We love to say, this is what our future needs to look like. This is how the business needs to turn out. This is how the family has to look. This is how the church has to look. It's got to have 10 campuses in 10 years with 10,000 people. And God says, crumple that piece of paper up because that's not my plan. That's your expectation, but I've got something else for you. See, Cornelius' expectancy changed the world. How many of you are Gentiles today? Let me ask a different question because you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Do we have any Jewish people in here today? I, I honor you if you're here. I love you. But all of those who aren't Jewish are Gentiles. And because Cornelius had a sense of expectancy, you are Christian. You're a Christian. Because Cornelius had a sense of expectancy, the Lord sent Peter to go share the gospel, the Holy Spirit come on a bunch of Gentiles. And Christianity is not just the Jewish sect. It's for everybody in the world. You're here because of somebody's expectancy and your expectancy will change your world, too. Hey, can the worship team come up here? I, I have the great, awesome privilege and honor to lead us into communion. Um, communion, I love that you guys take communion every week, that you come to the table almost every week to receive communion because it turns our hearts to the cross and the cross of Jesus, where Jesus died for our sins, is the center point of everything about our lives. It's the fountainhead of our salvation, of our life, of eternity. Jesus died on the cross to take our sins and our brokenness, and he rose from the dead again so that he could give us eternal life. I want to tell you something. Those people who saw Jesus as he was doing his ministry, they had an expectation of how God was going to come, how the Messiah was going to come, how the Messiah was going to show up, and they missed it. They missed it. They knew all the prophecies. They had all the ideas. This is how God is going to move. And Jesus showed up and they said, that can't be the Messiah. He doesn't look anything like we're expecting. And then even his disciples wouldn't have understood or had any kind of idea that the way that Jesus was going to save them, the way that he was going to express his ultimate purpose wasn't through victory over Rome, but death on a cross. Their expectation was that Jesus was going to win a battle. But I want to tell you something. Jesus totally blew their expectation away. And the expectancy that came with Jesus' death and his resurrection and redemption through the cross changed our lives. As we receive the cup and the bread that represents the body of the Lord Jesus broken for us, 
the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, can I invite us to open up to a holy expectancy for how God might move in your life and through your life to change your life, to save your friends, maybe even to save you? If you don't know Jesus, as they're singing the song that they're about to sing and we're receiving communion during that time, open your heart to the Lord. Maybe you didn't come with any sense of expectancy that God was going to do something in your life today, but I believe that the Holy Spirit's here. And if you would say, I don't know Jesus, I don't have a personal relationship with him, or maybe you do and you've walked far away and God would say, turn around today and give your heart back to me. Jesus, we thank you for your life and your grace. We thank you that you call us to an expectancy, Lord, that overcomes any expectation that we can have, that the box we've created for you and for our future is far too small, that you've said that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind could imagine the amazing things that you have planned for us. So Lord, we receive communion today as we sing this song. We receive you today and open up our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.